I want you to take your Bible this morning, and I want you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Because what God allows us to do on this side of heaven is participate still in worship of Him. You see, one of these days we look forward to, to seeing Him face to face. And can you imagine what a worship service that's going to be? I mean, it's going to be an unbelievable experience for us to enter into the presence of God in such a way. But yet, God has allowed us. He has given us opportunity to worship Him. And I want to turn your attention to this 2 Samuel chapter 6 passage. And I want you to know this, this is kind of a difficult passage for us to deal with. As a matter of fact, when I was laying out the life of David, when I was thinking about the different passages for us to consider, I, I got to this one and I, I said to myself, have I been here long enough to preach this one? You know, have I, have, I, have I got enough capital to be able to come to the pulpit and, and be able to flesh this out? Because this is, this is a different scene than what some of us are used to. I mean, it, it almost boggles our mind when we see King David and his response to the Lord. But it is a great challenge for us today, especially in the area of worship. And I want you to see that with me today as we begin. Let's begin in verse 12, okay? Verse 12, as we enter into this scene, basically, David is going to be bringing up the Ark of the Covenant, bringing it to Jerusalem. We're going to dig into the passage in its context a bit more in a moment. But let, let's just plunge in as we look at verse 12. Now, it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him. Because of the ark of God. And so David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. And then David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of, the, of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting, with the sound of the trumpet. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. And then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. I want you to see today as we look at this passage how blessed we are to worship. And to be honest with you, how worship itself is a response to the blessing that God has brought into our life. Worship itself is a response before God for the blessing that he has brought into our lives. Now think of this a moment. Think about this idea of a response. When somebody speaks, oftentimes you can see within the other person a response, whether it's a verbal response or whether it is a facial response, an expressive response, we're always about responding, right? Hey, husbands, wives, let's meddle just a moment, all right? When your spouse says something to you, there is always a type of response you have. You may not speak clearly, you may not speak verbally, but there's a response. After a while, Leslie, we've been married how long? I was testing you. I wasn't. I know. I know. 
Moving on, moving on. When you've been married quite a while and, 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 you, and you talk, you have conversations with one another, it doesn't matter if somebody is verbally responding or whether they are emotionally. There's a response. When somebody speaks, there's response. It's kind of like this morning. When I'm speaking, there's response. Now, some of you may be listening. Some of you, I can tell when you nod your head. Some of you are just nodding off. So there's a response one way or the other. That is a response. It may not be the the response I want or hope for, but it is a response. Well, let me say to you that when we come into the place of worship, it is a response to God and to his blessing. This morning, when you came and you sat down in this pew, when you decided to stand, whatever you decided to do, it was a response before God himself about what he had accomplished or what he had done in your life. Now, you may not have intentionally meant that, It may not have settled into your heart, but I'm going to say to you that it should have been a response to the blessing to the God that you serve. And that is what we see in David. David's worship is going to be a response to the blessing. Now, I know some of you are are here and you've been studying with us over the last few weeks and you're probably saying, whoa, Dr. Reggie, what happened here? The last time that we saw David... He was in a cave. As a matter of fact, you kept him in that cave or at least some type of cave for a couple of weeks. And now all of a sudden, things seem to have changed here in chapter 6. And yes, it did. Look at the language that's used in verse 12. It says it was told King David. Later in the verse, it says that David went and brought up the ark of of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David. Something has dramatically changed between this passage and the passage we looked at last week. I mean, now we're talking about King David before he was on the run from Saul. Now we're talking about a whole city that's named after David that David has laid claim to. What has occurred? What's happened? Well, David has seen the blessing of God in his life. David has seen God work that perfect will and plan for him. Yes, last week we talked about how Saul was still pursuing relentlessly the young David. But if you were to read the chapters afterwards and the chapters before our passage today, you would see how God had worked it out in his own way. Even through tragic events of Saul and his family. God had taken the young David and he had placed him upon the throne. For seven and a half years, he was on the throne in Hebron. And then as the people of Israel gathered together and they unified, they made him the king of all of Israel. We're told that he decided, as God had led him, obviously, that there needed to be a place, a capital a central city that would reflect God and his glory and reflect the worship of God. And what did we see? Well, back in chapter 5, David went and he took the Jebusite, Jebusite city of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem became the city of David. So in other words, yeah, things had changed. And for David, as he talked 
or thought about worshiping God. It was a response for what God had done. I mean, in this passage, you will hear David, even as he looks at his wife, he will speak to how God had been faithful and God had given to him this kingdom. That was the blessing. The blessing of kingship, the blessing of city. God had been at work. And he had been at work personally in David. No wonder when David comes to celebrate what God has done, he simply worships as a response of the blessing that God had brought into his life. Again, how we should be like David in this way. How we should worship, how we should respond to the blessing of what God has done within us personally. And how God has achieved his purpose and his plan for us. Think of it. God is working on our behalf every day. Do you believe that? God is working on our behalf every day. There, there may be days when you're in the cave and you're thinking, Now, God, how exactly are you working on my behalf? And there may be lonely days. David had experienced that. I've not tried to conceal those in any way. I've wanted you to see that as we work through his life. But ultimately what we have seen is God achieved his plan and his purpose for David. Remember, when this young man was brought from, when he was brought from the flocks, when he was anointed, before anybody else really knew him or knew what he was capable of or knew what the plan would be, God knew. And even back there, God was working. God is working in our lives. I believe that each and every day. Even when other people can't see it, even when we cannot necessarily see it, God is at work in our lives. And God is achieving his plan and his purpose for us. And when we begin to see just a little bit of that plan and that purpose achieved, how incredible is it? I mean, isn't it a moment to just stop and just respond to God and say, God, hold on just a minute. I, I may not have told you this lately, but God, thank you. God, let me worship you for what you have done. Let this be a response to who you are. See, I think every Sunday morning when we come together, as we worship, we respond to the blessing that he has brought into our personal lives that week. If nothing else, we give him thanks for the very breath we have, for the life, for the relationships every week. But not just the blessing for us personally, but also the blessing for us corporately. Again, when you look at David's response and how he comes with gladness before God, he is King David, he's in the city of David, he recognizes how God has worked in his personal life, but also he recognizes how God has worked in the people, how God has worked in the nation of Israel itself. He recognizes that. Notice the all-cap Lord that you'll find in this translation. That means that this is the covenant God of Israel, the God who had made certain promises, the God who had entered into a relationship with the people of Israel. And perhaps the Ark of the Covenant represented that as much as anything else. The Ark of the Covenant. I mean, this tremendous piece of furniture, this holy 
this holy instrument that God had given, it represented what God had already done within the people of making the agreement of coming and fulfilling his promises. Remember in the Ark of the Covenant, if you were to look within it, what would you find about this time? You'd find what? You remember? You would find some manna. You'd find some manna in the Ark of the Covenant. You'd find Aaron's rod. You remember the blossoming rod of Aaron in the, in the Ark. And also, you would find the tablets. You would find basically the, the Ten Commandments of how God had entered into this agreement. So think of this. The Ark of the Covenant held within it like the history, the covenant. It held the very identity of the people of God. So when David is going down to get the Ark of the Covenant, there's a sense of where, God, I recognize you have blessed us as a people. So it's not just a personal worship session. This is going to be a corporate worship session. The people themselves will worship and respond. I've got to watch the way I say this, okay? Uh... I think I'm still on drugs, so I think I could still plead ignorance if I say something I shouldn't. But I could come in this place today and I could worship by myself. If you had not shown up this morning, I could have worshiped. I might have had a tough time preaching, but I could have worshiped. Because personally, God has been so good to me this last week and beyond. It's the, only, it's the only response we could give to him, or I could give to him. I don't have to be extra motivated. All I have to do is see the revelation of God in my life. But I'm pretty proud God gives us opportunities to come together like this. Because I do believe it enhances the worship experience so that we know that God's not just about our personal care it's good that's awesome but God is also about the benefit of his people collectively to be reminded as we come into this place that God not only promised to work in my life but he promised to work in your life as well that God not only worked to save me and to enter into a covenant with me and listen Thanks be to him that through his blood I am saved by the grace of God. But to know when I see you that God has saved other individuals. And that there are many others who are continuing to serve. That draw, brings me strength and it turns me again to response of worship to him. Because what God has begun here at Temple Baptist Church, what he has begun in our hearts, this is a God who will work to complete it until the day of Christ. And for us, we should respond with such worship. Hey, the Ark of the Covenant. I mentioned this last week, I believe. But it was the place, the mercy seat in particular, where the glory, the Shekinah glory of God was demonstrated to the people. When the Ark of the Covenant was there, it was like the presence of God was there. I mean, they needed, I mean, the presence of God was blessing Obed-Edom. And the people said, hey, David, don't we want some of that blessing? Don't we want to experience that type of presence? 
And remember, it's a different day, different age from what we live in. But through the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God was realized and known. So they said, bring the presence up here. Up here. We want to worship because we know that he resides among the people, his people. We don't have the Ark of the Covenant today. We don't have specific furniture that we bring in here to represent necessarily the presence of God or to bring with it, I should say, the presence of God. But you don't doubt the power and the reality of the presence of God here with us today. You don't doubt it. Because in the New Testament, what are we taught? That each believer, each believer is a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. Each believer. In other words, you, as you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit of God living within you. You don't need an ark. You don't need furniture. You just have the Holy Spirit already indwelling your heart and life. And the scripture says that where two or three are gathered, there he is also. In other words, that in that place where there is a gathering of believers, there's a special manifestation of God's power and spirit. So for us to come together as God's people, as we have this morning, and to respond together, it is responding to the blessing of his presence here. You don't ever miss that. So many times we just go through the motions. Sometimes we just go through the motions of showing up, coming through the doors, doing our thing, going about our classes, seeing people and speak, that we forget what an awesome opportunity this is for God to manifest His glorious presence here in our midst. And you and I should come in such a way to respond to the blessing of His presence, to the blessing of His provision, that we should come and worship Him as a response of blessing. Hey, I think that blessing just is can be authentic, natural, and wholehearted. I I think our response to him, authentic, natural, wholehearted. So again, look. It says that David comes in verse 14. I don't know if you heard this. Obviously you did because I didn't hear amen or anything about it. But it said, then David danced before the Lord. Woo! Man! Man! Interpretive movement at its best. Dance before the Lord. He was wearing this linen ephod. And Dave and all his house, they brought up the ark of the Lord shouting. And with a sound of trumpet. Can you imagine? I mean, here he is. He's just worshiping. He's just praising God for, for God's presence and God's blessing. He's the king. God's been faithful. He's responding to the blessing for him personally and the blessing for the people. He's just worshiping, authentic, real, natural. See, I say this again. I don't think we have to have, I don't think we should have to have cheerleaders in worship services to get us ready. I am grateful for worship leaders 
who will stand and help us kind of work through the, the singing and certainly uh, those who will help us as we pray together and study God's Word together and do all that. I'm, I'm thankful for that. But listen to me. You and I shouldn't have to have cheerleaders to motivate us to worship God. I mean, sometimes in our services these days, and I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but I'm just saying, sometimes in our services today, it seems like we've got to get the person that will get us all riled up the most and get us like so whipped into a frenzy and all that kind of stuff. Folks, I don't need that. My audience as I come to worship is an audience of one. When I come before this place, it is not necessarily, who did I say? I, I mean, I'm on all kind of medicine, but it's not to please you. When I worship, it is to please the audience of one above. He is the only one that we should find our delight in. And we worship him naturally. Whatever comes natural to us. David, he's not asking about all the different sessions of how he should worship him. He's just worshiping. And it is a wholehearted worship. Someone has said true biblical worship concerns the whole of one's life. Its ultimate meaning is rooted in one's wholehearted love for God. Everything about us should be involved when we worship. I know this may be controversial with some of you, but I want you to hear this. When you come into this place and you engage in corporate worship, you should be engaged intellectually with your mind. You should be engaged emotionally with your heart and your feelings. You should be engaged physically in the way you respond to God. You should be engaged in every way possible. David was. Don't miss it. Everything about him was involved in the worship experience. Now, he was not mindless in his worship. Some of you will see this and you'll think, well, it's so much emotionalism. No, he was not mindless. I don't have time, but you ought to go back and read the first 11 verses of this chapter. He had learned that you take serious the revelation in the Word of God in your worship, in your preparation. Basically, what happened? Well, he went up to get the Ark of the Covenant, but he had forgotten what the requirements were. So what did he do? He put the Ark of the Covenant on a cart. You don't do that. Levites were supposed to take the Ark of the Covenant. There were little ringlets at the bottom of the Ark where they would put the poles, and the Levites would take the Ark and carry it. But David got so wound up, he said, let's get a new cart, let's put it on there, and before you know it, there's disaster and tragedy. So I'm not telling you that we should be emotional without engaging our minds. No, we should make sure that we approach the Lord by looking at his revelation, by hearing from him and allowing our minds to be engaged. David had thought through this. I believe personally he had read, or according to what 1 Chronicles 15 tells us, that he had realized what he needed to do. As he came and he brought the ark up to Jerusalem. So it wasn't mindless emotionalism, but hey, God did touch the emotions. God did touch his emotions. 
Some of you say, I'm not an emotional person. What? Now, I know some of you may not be as emotional as others, but some of you who say, I'm not an emotional person, I've seen you sit around the court at a Louisiana Tech basketball game. I've seen you at sporting. Don't tell me that you're not emotional. And I'm not saying when you're emotional, it has to be out of control. Never should be. The spirit of the the fruit of the spirit is self-control and how we react, how we come before God. But we're always going to have some type of emotional response. We're emotional people. I know this is going to sound tough, but I'll just say this. You're emotional about what you, are, what you feel is important in your life. And perhaps we need to ask ourselves, why are we not emotional about worship of God? Why are we not? And allow the conviction just to set in. And I'm not saying that I think you're this and that. We should be engaged with our emotions. God touches all of us. Let me read some of this scripture to you. Variety of references that, that demonstrate expressive prayer and worship in the New Testament. Romans 15, 9. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. Romans 15, 11. Sing praises to him, all you peoples. Praising. 1 Peter 2, 9 says, But you are chosen people, a ro- royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Upraised hands. 1 Timothy 2.8 I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. Kneeling. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. Acts 20.36 I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Ephesians 3.14 and 15. Now about the collection of God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. And then reading the scriptures themselves. Devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. 1 Timothy 4.13 What someone has said is that the combination of elements illustrates the New Testament worship comprises a full array of expression. Biblical worship isn't one-dimension activity. It involves a combination of reason, spiritual intuition, and emotions. Paul illustrates this well by his words. So what shall I do? I will pray with the Spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I also will sing with my mind. 1 Corinthians 14, 15. The words of Scripture reveal that worship is neither an exercise of barren intellectualism or thoughtless emotion. Worship involves the total human being, spirit, mind, emotions, and body. And I'm just going to remind us, Southern Baptists, that for many years we set, we set, I think, the standard of biblical worship in spirit and in truth. And we allowed through the years so many things to scare us to death that we forgot what it's like to come humbly before him and worship him. And we have turned our worship services sometimes more into formalistic gatherings like civic clubs than we have the bought, the blood bought people of God coming together to worship him. And we need once again to hear how God is calling us 
Worship is a response to blessing. And let me say this. Man, I ain't got much time. Can, who, did, you, did you move that time forward, Matt? Good gracious alive. What is going on? A worship is a river for blessing. It is a response to blessing that God has given us, but it is a river to pour out blessing upon others. And I want you to say, I don't think I'd ever noticed this before as I read through this passage. But it is a river for blessing to others. Look, look at verse 18. It says, when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. In other words, David was blessed and he responded in worship. And then what did he do when he left really basically his personal time of worship? He blessed others. He blessed them in worship. We aren't surprised. I went last night again, looked at those subtitles of the Psalms. David wrote what? Half of the Psalms, basically. Approximately half of the Psalms. So David had a heart for worship. And he had a heart for engaging the people of God. And his heart somehow worked its way out into the people's lives. And he blessed the people. Notice it says in verse 19, physically, he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both the women and the men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. In other words, he blessed them physically too. Kind of reminds me of the old king of Salem, the priest, Melchizedek himself, the priest of Jerusalem, who came and offered bread and wine to Abram. It's as though now we have a new king of Jerusalem who is coming again to bless the people. He blessed them. Have you ever thought that one of the reasons God allowed you to respond today in worship, collective worship, is so that you could go out and you could bless others? And you could be a blessing, a conduit, a river, a blessing to them. And then it says, verse 20, David returned to bless his household. See, I, I've read through this passage several times before, and I never just got that. I skipped over it, I guess. It says that he blessed the people, and then he went home to bless his family. Man, there's got to be some words of truth in that for us. Blessing the family. Unfortunately, what did he find? Well, it says, and Michal, the daughter of Saul. Notice how she's not called the wife of David. But the daughter of Saul, who represents his character and who he is, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants, as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers him. You can almost sense this, can't you? He walks in the door, and as soon as he does, he is lambasted. Nicole, who had seen him from the window, who had seen what he had done, who could not believe that he had conducted himself in such an undignified fashion. She accuses him. I believe she's accusing him of trying to look good among the young ladies. That's what I think she's actually saying to him. Oh, you saw those young maids out there, and here you are, dancing like you are, and trying to impress them. You could sense 
the jealousy and the barrenness. Look at David. Verse 21 says, It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, <laughs> I will play music before the Lord. And I will even be more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken by them, I will be held in honor. David said, I know who I am before God, and I know what I was doing, and I know he was pleased. And even before those young women, I think they understood the authentic, natural response of worship. Then verse 23 gives us this tragic commentary and ending. It says, Therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Barrenness. Someone has said that Michal's experiences tell us a story that's been told a hundred times over, and one that the modern worship reformation demands to be told again. It's a message of warning of what can happen when human taste and agendas reject the childlike simplicity and spontaneity that pleases God in worship. You see, David went and he blessed. But unfortunately for McCall, she experienced barrenness. I think this was a spiritual barrenness as well. And I'm afraid that too many of our folks are living with spiritual barrenness today. Because they're so concerned about what people will say. They're so concerned about the different aspects. They are living in true barrenness in their worship experience today. But for David... For David, worship was a response to the blessing that God had brought. And for David, worship was a river that would open up blessing for others, would flow in to the blessing for other individuals. And family, that's how God challenges us still today. I want you to think about it for a moment. One, why did you get up this morning? Why did you get up? Why did you come to church? Why did you come in this place? Was it to respond to a holy God who had done more than you could ever imagine in your life? Was it to respond to him with just natural, authentic, wholeheartedness? As you sit by before him, as you stand before him, whatever it and was it so that you could go back out and be a river of blessing to others? So that as God blessed your heart, you could pour it back into others. Because that's what God wants from his people. He just wants some Davids. Men and women after his own heart. Who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Let's pray together. Father. God, I, I recognize this is a, a tough message today for some of us. And God, I'll be honest. It's tough for me to work through these things and be challenged. 
God, I pray you'd speak to us. I pray this morning that you'd give us a new perspective, a new heart for worship. And Lord, that that worship would just be simple and pure. It'd be real and adoring before you. God, how blessed we are in this place. Personally and corporately, we cannot begin to tell you how thankful we are, how blessed we are. May that blessing just run within our lives and open a natural response of worship before you. God, I pray that when we walk out of here, we're not walking out spiritually barren, but we're walking out spiritually blessed. And God, when we go into our families, that we would speak in such ways that, Lord, we would build one another up, that we would walk into other people's lives, Father, and it would bring to them a sense of who you are and what you want to happen in their lives. That you would use us to be people who would lead others to blessing and worship. We pray it now. In Jesus' name, amen.